Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Ben Kroger from Put Your Lights On. I'm Ryan Ireland from CraftQuest.io. And I'm Matt Stein from Bend, Oregon. <laughs> and, and today we have on a special guest, Randy Fay, the author and maintainer of DDEV. How you doing, Randy? I am doing good. Great, great to be here with you. So I'm real pleased that you're able to come on with us today and talk to us a little bit about DDEV. I got a scenario for you. If you're out at a nightclub in Cancun, Mexico, and you're starting to get into a fight with a guy because he's harassing your girlfriend, he's got you pinned to the ground, and then he's behind you, you see your huge friend named Nutter walk up. He's a big Neanderthal-looking guy, and he whispers in your ear, I'll help you. If you tell me what DDEV is, what would you say to him? You know, I've been working on that for years. Um, <laughs> so as you can imagine, I have lots of friends who think it's just all magic. But what I say is that web developers, people that work on the websites that everybody uses every day, they need to have a way to work on their website. And the preferable way that they like to work on that website is on their own computer where they don't have to compete with anybody else or mess up anybody else's code or database or anything else that somebody else is doing on the website. So he's got his um, knee on your sternum. You're starting to lose yeah. consciousness. Yeah. So it helps people do that. So that's what DDEV is. is it, it's a way for people to do that. It's a work way for us local. to work on projects locally. Is there any specific type of project? Like, is it, uh, would it be something that I would use for node development or is it geared towards anything in particular? Well, DDEV's history is in the PHP world. So it came out of the PHP world. And so traditionally it would have been Nginx or Apache with PHP. But these days we're trying to support the node world and the node support gets better all the time. And we'd like to support Django and Python world. That's on the roadmap. But I'm in deep history in the PHP world, really deep history in the Drupal world. Typo 3 came on later than that. Always tried to support WordPress, but we're sure happy to have the Craft CMS folks along for the ride. That's great too. But really deep roots in the PHP world and lots of people with lots of different PHP backgrounds use DDEV for their local development. Now, why do I even need a local development environment? Why don't I just YOLO it and install Nginx, install MySQL, install Postgres? You know, why don't I just do that? Like, what, what advantages does a local dev environment give us? With what you just described, you were creating a local development environment, and there's right, nothing true. wrong with true. what you just described. So for people who know how to configure Nginx and FPM and everything else, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Why would you want to use DDEV or a tool like it? I'm one of those people that used to just sling around Nginx configs and PHP configs and do it all on my own computer. And when I first came along, when DDEV was in its infancy, I thought it was kind of silly. Like, why would I use this Docker stuff when I can just run the stuff on my machine? Well, I eventually started realizing that my different projects might have different requirements. Mm. And one might want to run Apache and another one Nginx and another one PHP. 
back then it was probably 5.6 and 7.0 or something like that. Different PHP versions, different MySQL or MariaDB versions. And now with DDEV, the place where I started seeing the value early on was that you can have all these different projects with different configuration and your team has it all checked in. The biggest thing about using a standard tool like DDEV is normally a team lead spends all their time fixing the junior developer's development environment, right? Because they don't know how. They don't know what to do. And so now with DDEV or a tool like DDEV, you check in the config. It's different for every project. They bring it up and they've already got it configured. So that's huge. So just having the different projects with different configuration and having that checked in, those are the big things about using DDEV or a tool like it as compared to slinging Nginx like you were saying. Yeah, and the other thing that you can sometimes run into is in addition to what you were saying about the environment being wrapped around the project so you can have different environments for different projects is that if something goes wrong, if you just install stuff locally, (laughs) then everything is down and nothing works and you're going to spend the next day rebuilding your whole computer before you can do anything. Yeah, or rebuilding it for your junior dev, you know? Right. So, Yeah. yeah. And that's no fun. Like no, nobody likes doing that. It's not fun having to reinstall all this stuff and having downtime just because you can't run the thing. You know, that's just a, that's not a great thing. And it's really different for different people. Some of us like doing that stuff. And a lot of us really want to get on with their web development. Yeah. I call it meta work. It's work that you have to do before you can do the actual work where you bring the value. I personally don't mind doing DevOps stuff, but if I'm trying to do something else for a client, that's right. I really don't want to do all that garbage before I can get up and running and do it. You know, what am I going to do? Am I going to build them for the six hours I spent reinstalling stuff on my computer? You know, you know, because I maintain DDEV and have to support it in lots of different environments, I switch around between computers all the time. Yep. And I don't ever care because yep. it's just DDEV, it's checked in. DDEV works the same on Windows as it does on WSL2 and Linux and Mac and M1 or AMD64. It works the same everywhere. So when I move between computers, the only thing that disorients me is the keyboard. And other than that, I'm fine. Yeah. And some people will say to themselves, well, maybe something like DDEV makes sense if I'm on a team environment, but it's just me working on my own. But you raise a really good point that you are not really on your own. You may work on multiple computers. You may hire a subcontractor. You may have older projects that run older versions of whatever, and you you don't want to have to try and reinstall everything just to run it. So I think it's fantastic that it kind of shrink wraps the DevOps along with the project. Now, in order to do that, my understanding is that it runs on top of this thing called Docker. Why don't we just use Docker directly? If that's what it's using, why, why don't we just use Docker? Well, that's a totally legitimate technique. Lots of people don't know what Docker is exactly. Yeah. But I like to explain to people that Docker is a way to run a bunch of little computers on your computer. So you're essentially, for web developers, that means running a whole bunch of little Linux computers that are configured in a consistent way on your computer. So the web server and the DB server are little custom configured Linux computers running on your computer in a controlled environment. And you can, lots of teams want to do that. They will get their own thing together and throw it together and then maintain it. And there's nothing wrong with that 
if it meets their needs and somebody's willing to maintain it. It's that whole problem again is who's going to maintain it. Somebody's got to maintain it. The person that made it is the one that's going to have to maintain it. And when your project has a new requirement, they're going to have to go implement that in their environment. Whereas DDEV is always moving along, always has support for new things. And in general, it has the capabilities for you to customize everything using standard features instead of custom rolled features. So it just goes back to who's maintaining it and how is it standardized. All of these techniques are legitimate. The only thing that's not legitimate is working on the server as a whole team (laughs) together. That's not legitimate. Yeah. A local dev environment is essentially replicating production so that you can work on the thing. If you're installing everything directly on your computer, then you have a monolithic environment. You have one environment that has all this stuff and it may or may not match production. And it certainly isn't going to match across projects. Using Docker lets you effectively have a little mini MySQL service. And this one could be version eight. And this one could be version 5.7. And you could have a a little mini computer that's running Nginx and another little one that's running Apache and specific versions of them that are then tied to that particular project. Randy, uh, you're talking about maintaining. So you're the maintainer of DDEV now. Can you talk a little about how it came about? Are you the creator? Was it other individuals involved? Yeah. What's the the, the origin story of the tool? It's a great question. I went to work for a company named Drud in 2016 or something like that. And they wanted to be a hosting company. They wanted to be a hosting company using Kubernetes. But they had this local development Docker-based thing that was part of their big picture. They wanted local development to be part of the hosting environment. At first, I thought, well, why would I do that? Because I already know how to sling this stuff. And it was a little, at the time, it was a little slower than slinging it yourself. And it didn't have the database separated. You know, it was very young. It was very young. Well, I liked it. And it was actually the only thing that I really liked that they were working on. And it became mine, right? So within a year, it was mine. And I just, and they very kindly supported the open source, supported that for the next four years before they lost their funding, which was a year and a half ago or something like that. And so I've been maintaining it since it was very, very young, but I definitely didn't create it. It was a stray kitten and you put out the saucer of milk and then brought it into your house, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I definitely got the kitten now. (laughs) So, uh, Randy, when you started working on it, I'm thinking of things like if you read up on the history of Git version control, how it was really just originally a a set of scripts that helped them do the things they wanted to do as they were working on the Linux kernel. But did this start out with a vision of what it is right now, or was it just a set of scripts that spun up and, and built the containers the way you wanted? It was really just a little bit of Docker Compose and it was Drupal focused. No, there wasn't a vision behind it. It was an add-on to the hosting. Because these people were web developers that were working on this hosting environment, they were thinking development as they did the other stuff. And that was cool, but that's where it came from. But it was very young. I have a question. So someone recently said to me, well, the D, the first D in DDEV probably stands for Drupal. And I thought, well, maybe it makes sense because Drud, the company, might be Drupal Dev. But then I thought, well, maybe it stands for Docker because DDEV is Docker-based. But then I realized, well, you even provide alternatives to Docker. So is it Docker that underpins the whole thing? or It is actually I, Docker that underpins right. DDEV. 
but Docker in many different places. You don't have to have Docker Desktop anymore. On Mac, you can use Colima or you can use Docker Desktop. So there's many ways to do it. But in all those cases, it's currently using Docker, meaning the Docker open source project, to do its work. Um, I that see. May not so even these even... Docker alternatives are simply Docker desktop alternatives. They're Docker wrappers of different kinds. Yeah. So Kalima is the way we use it. It's a Docker wrapper. I mean, it's not the only way that it could be used. But yeah, the way we're using everything right now is as Docker wrappers. But you okay. don't have to have the closed source wrapper called Docker desktop to use DDEV. And is that there, thereby where the name came from? It, does well, DDEV have to do with Docker? It, or Yeah, now you make it hard. Was, DDEV, was the D for Drud? Was the what D for first? Docker? Was the D for Drupal? I would have guessed Docker, but now that you've, now that you got it, I'm lost. Yeah, I don't. Wait, Randy, wait a minute. You don't, aren't you, you don't the know the answer? On this? Do you, what? <laughs> isn't it your, you could just make something up now. Yeah, you just make it right? up. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely Docker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's go with Docker. We'll we'll edit it to to use the last. There we go. I, I thought but you were going to drop a bomb to say no. It really stands for diamond because that was the ah. name of my first cat or something like that. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. But Docker is really what makes it all work like magic the way it does. Right, that it's so portable and you can use it on any platform and take it anywhere with you or send it to your yeah. team. Docker is the way that it is that portable and that it is that consistent across all these different operating systems. One way to look at DDEV is it's just a Docker wrapper, Docker Compose wrapper. You can look at that, but oh my goodness, there's a lot of years and a lot of code to make it work the way it does. So it, is, it, isn't, it isn't just a wrapper, but technically it's technology is it's a wrapper on Docker Compose. I think what I would say in terms of the advantages that DDEV offers you over Docker, in addition to what you said, I think the three main ones that I would think of is number one, you do not have to learn Docker. <laughs> <laughs> you can have something that will just get you up and running. And again, you don't want to do the meta work. Great. You you can get all of the wonderful features of Docker without having to learn all of the wonderful guts and internals. The second one I would say is that it, it offers you a way to name and route sites pretty transparently. Yes, you can do that in Docker, but it takes another layer of stuff in order to be able to do it. Whereas now you can just have my site.ddev.site. And the third one I would say is that it takes care of the HTTP for you. You don't have to worry about certificates, like all of that kind of, those are the, the big three that if I'm talking to somebody and they're asking me, well, you know, should I just learn Docker or should I learn DDEV? Those are the big three that I list in terms of advantages that you get from DDEV right out of the box. I mean, what do you think? One of the things I appreciate about it too, though, just to pile on, I know you weren't asking me, is that it's it's like training wheels for Docker, where somebody smarter than me figured out how to, hey, Randy, figured out how to get me working with my sites, but there is Docker Compose and there is stuff I can dive into without forgetting all the Docker commands. And I can kind of wade into Docker based on something that's already been set up for me. So I can completely ignore it, or I can kind of use that as an avenue to peek under the hood and see what's going on with Docker Compose and, and the whole, the way that everything's set up. I really, really want people not to have to think about what Docker is to be able to use DDEV. And I'm pretty sure that you can get a long ways down the line without understanding Docker or anything else. And I think a lot of people do. So yeah, that's definitely a goal. But yes, you can go beyond that and you can start to add features that aren't 
innately part of DDEV that are easy to extend using Docker, Docker Compose, and, and other technologies. And that's and one am- of the things that I really appreciate about DDEV is that I've seen other local development environments, whether they're Docker-based or not, that you sort of get what you get, and that's what's there. And DDEV is just as easy to get up and running, but it doesn't make as many assumptions about it. And if you really do want to use this custom Docker container, great, go ahead, you can do it. That's one of the things that I think is fantastic about the design and architecture of DDEV is that it's super flexible. You can get up and running really quickly out of the box, but it's also super flexible when you need to get outside of that box in terms of what you need to do. And it's very clear to me that this was written by people that are actually in the trenches doing the work and have run into all of these problems and and thus know the right way to architect it. It's the community that has made DDEV what it is. The reality is nobody knows how to make something that is what will be useful to people just out of the box. But the community has been contributing to this for years. Right. So DDEV doesn't have perfect code or anything like that. It has code that's like anything that's been around for a few years. It has compromises that were made at some point and that you kind of might wish they hadn't been, you know, like anything else. But DDEV has the community talking all the time. And so every feature in DDEV is something the community ran up against and wanted. And that's why it's there. And so as the community continues to contribute and ask and make code contributions or docs contributions or all the other things that you can do, that's what makes DDEV what it is. is I think that the community making that happen. Yeah, that, it's very apparent in the way it works. And w- what can sometimes happen is, whether it's a local dev environment or, or something else, you can have a group of people that are specking and writing the thing, but they don't actually do what these other people are going to do with the product. And it is analogous to, let's say you're a vegetarian and you adopt a cat for the first time. And you're like, oh, great, I'll make the cat dinner. And you you dice up some, some parsley, you throw a little eggplant, maybe a little avocado, and you put it in front of the cat and the cat sniffs it and the cat looks at you like, what the, the hell is this? <laughs> you know. And I've, I've seen some projects like that where the development team isn't in touch with the people that are actually going to use it. And you end up with something that it may be well done, but it's not what they need. And that's what the community contributions from DDEV, I think, make it really clear that it's people that are doing the thing that helped to influence what is going on with it, which I love it. I love that part of it. Randy, I'm used to seeing you as, as a guy on GitHub with a, you're having a great time. Straw Hat responds within 30 seconds to any issue that ever comes up. How much time do you actually spend uh, like day to day? Is DDEV your full-time love or how much how much time do you spend actually maintaining it? Yeah, DDEV is my full-time thing. And these days I actually get paid for it, which is amazing and generous of platform.sh to have started uh, sponsoring me to maintain the project. My aim is to spend about 30 hours a week, and you you know from experience that I don't. But I love working on it, and that's why I'm there all the time. And I, lo- I, love, I just love doing something useful that mm. helps people do what they want to do and that makes them happy. It makes me happy to do that. And that's probably the amount of time that I spend supporting people is... It might be unsustainable for the future, but it's how I learn what people experience, right? And it's it's so valuable. I just, I love, and it and it makes me feel valuable, right? Because I can help them and DDEV can help them. So I, I love that. Whether it's sustainable or not is an important question and one that we're always talking about in the DDEV advisory group, which is next week on Wednesday and everybody's welcome. That, you know, figuring out, a long-term future 
for DDEV that isn't just me is a fundamental thing that we want to think about and work on and make sure that it has a, a life that is beyond me. So Randy, when you say community, are you referring to the users of DDEV and perhaps people who are contributing to, or is there something more formal? You mentioned a, an advisory meeting or something. So what what are you specifically referring to when you talk about community? Yeah, when I say community, I'm talking about all the people that use DDEV and, and raise their hand and talk and contribute or ask or create issues or create bugs or whatever that they do. The people that are using and needing DDEV and that kind of thing. So that's what I mean by the community. We have an advisory group and a budget group. The advisory group meets every second month and it's next Wednesday. It's the first Wednesday of the month we meet and everybody's welcome to that. It's fairly informal, but it, as you'd expect, the people that show up are the people that care the most. And so getting their view of what should be and is, is really important. And the budget group is intended to help guide the financial future of the thing. So so I have perhaps a related question to that because everyone else or everyone here on this podcast is involved in or has been involved in, sorry, Matt, Craft CMS. And uh, it seems that DDEV can be used for PHP projects, but also for various content management systems. You, so we've heard WordPress, Drupal, and we're, most of us here are somehow involved in craft CMS. And there was recently a PR that you accepted to add a command to DDEV, which allows you to run craft console commands. So when you're meeting with this advisory group, or when you're thinking about what kind of PRs to accept, how are you making those decisions? How are you balancing keeping the core lean and relevant versus, you know, people coming by and saying, oh, I have jolly CMS and I'd like to add a jolly command, you know, uh, for me and my friends. How are you differentiating between those kinds of requests and making decisions? Yeah, that's a great question. The fundamental thing is I try to understand what's the most useful to the most people and what can be done in a generic way as opposed to a specific code way. So in general, if you come and ask, can we add this package to the web container? I'll say no, because we've got a feature that you just put it in the config.yaml and that adds it in for you. Sometimes the answer is yes, but Mostly, it's how can we solve this in a generic way? In the exact case that you're talking about, the adding the craft command, normally the craft command would be hidden and only shown to people running craft. So, for example, Drush, which is the Drupal equivalent, only shows up for people running Drupal and Backdrop. We just don't have that yet for craft. And that's one of the fundamental reasons that I'm hoping that we get a project type for craft. I'm well aware that craft folks feel that they don't need it because they've always used DDEV and it worked fine and they didn't need it. But it it would hide that craft command from other people and it would allow us to do things like specifying the uploader, the user-generated files directory, automatically or near automatically based on the project type as it does for the other project types. So I probably... Open source communities have a lot of different models for how they're set up. And some of them have a lot of trouble making decisions. Some of them have are small and have what you would call a benevolent dictator. Some of them have no governance idea at all. 
And essentially, DDEV is a benevolent dictatorship, and I'm the dictator, and I really like to listen to what people want and need. So people that make a good case for things and other people agree with them, it will get into DDEV. Also, people who make PRs that solve a problem that scratches their itch, it usually gets in. There's probably a counterexample or two. But in general, if they're scratching their own itch and it's a reasonable itch and they take the effort to do it, it gets in. So it sounds like in this case, perhaps it was a stepping stone. Adding the craft command was a stepping stone to getting a craft project type, which which would help to keep the PHP project type more generic in the way that's that right. it's intended that's right. to be. Yep. Yeah, I was yep. actually going to ask you about that because I go to the quick start guide and it says, check out the, the quick starts for CMSs if you're using one. And I'm looking at it and I don't see one for craft CMS. Is that something that you're planning to add? I'm hoping that somebody from the craft community will do a PR for it. Yeah. Oh, so you so you are open to a PR. Oh no, it it I mean that's just a docs PR. That's all we need is just somebody to go and edit that page and add that. And I would very much like that. So it's literally just documentation that needs to be PR? The the quick starts are, yeah. Oh, right wow. now. Yeah, that's it. Um you go Click the little pencil on the quick start page and edit it. Yeah. If only we knew someone that did documentation for Craft CMS. (laughs) Matt, what's going on, Matt? I'm looking at you, Matt. Well, I have some awkward news for you. (laughs) Pivoted. You have a lot of time in your hands, don't you, Matt? (laughs) I was I was going to ask if you were uh, Randy, if you were prepping another uh, benevolent dictator. And you were, you know, you're getting them ready to to take the reins of DDEV power. What are the things that they would need to know? What are the things that would not immediately be obvious about maintaining a project like this? Yeah, is it a Game of Thrones kind of succession thing that it's going to be your firstborn (laughs) heir, or is it going to be whoever wins in battle, or or what's the deal? One of the one of the 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 bus factor for the DDEV project is a fundamental problem, and there's so much to know that. I mean, way beyond the code. The code comes in many varieties. Go is probably the biggest piece, and that's not usually familiar to web developers. And so it's a stretch there. But we have a whole testing system. Every PR gets, every push gets tested on the Mac M1, on Mac AMD 64. It gets tested on Linux. It gets tested on Linux, ARM 64. It gets tested on Windows and WSL2. And keeping all those test runners happy and running is a big deal. And you can imagine it would it take a lot to teach that. Then there are the questions about just access to how would somebody figure out how to have access to the systems that they need access to. So one of my jobs for today, because I'm trying to get ready for the meeting next week, is to try to get the secrets that somebody would need if I get hit by a bus into a place where they would know where they are. And of course, it's not just that, it's how do they know what secrets they need and how would they know how to use them and how would they know how to get them and how would whoever was taking the lead on it know who to go to that had the power to do what needed to be done. And that's something that if you had a larger organization, you would hope that some of that would have already been sorted out. Of course, we all know many larger organizations where that is not at all sorted out and that they have the same problem. But if I had the luxury of an up-and-coming 
assistant dictator, which I would love to have. And by the way, uh, DDEF does have opportunities for, at this time, our budget capabilities are not huge, but we have some money in the bank. And I would absolutely love to find somebody who had some time to spend, to paid time to spend on the test subsystem, for example, or on the tests themselves. I have a whole set of things that I think, or or on maintaining the uh, DDEV GET add-ons and learning how to maintain those. So there are options like that. But if I had an actual somebody that would come along and learn how to maintain things and and make decisions, I would probably start with the whole test runner subsystem and the tests themselves. Then, of course, learning all the weird things that one doesn't know that one is the only one that knows about the code and why it is yeah, what it is. It sounds like finding someone and getting them and giving them gradual access and would make sense. And I'm going to offer you Matt Stein. He is not a pure there blood. There he is right there. He's not a pure blood. But he is willing to try and become the hand of the king if that's something that you would be interested in doing. And and I am just going to, just yeah, like in medieval so times, I'm just going to give him to you. Wow, that's, that is so great. That's very sweet. I'd like to point out the hand of the king always dies. <laughs> <laughs> always murdered. So, But no, uh, the basic issue is huge and important and taken seriously by me and by the advisory group and that, but it's not easy with a small budget to figure out how to, well, a small budget and a small organization, because I'd have to figure out how to, I know I've done this before, so I do know how to pay people in different parts of the world. I know how to pull that off, but I have to entice somebody to do it within the existing budget constraints. Now, I know perfectly well that there are many organizations using DDEV who, if they were pushed a little harder than they have been, would contribute in a significant way and that that could be done. But uh, I'm really busy supporting the community and maintaining the code. <laughs> and uh, But I know that, that it would be a valuable thing to do. I am actually, as, as you know, Platform.sh, the hosting company, just stepped in of their own volition and decided to sponsor the project by paying me a salary. This was in March, I think, or February or something. And it was a great, great thing. And I actually am floating proposals to have them put some management time in and maybe some documentation and marketing time in. So I'm floating proposals on that because that's an obvious way. But of course, that's almost unfair. Hey, you're giving a lot. So shouldn't you give more? It's um, There's a little, little trouble with that idea. Yeah, and it sounds like so many companies, and then even more than that, so many individuals rely on DDEV that I think if you did kind of rattle the cup a little bit, you would get that. You would be able to get additional contributions, but moreover, getting some other people involved to help ease your burden and then also help with the succession type of thing would be uh, a pretty nice thing to do. And I'm glad to hear that you are on track doing that. So we do have a a funding technique that works fine and at GitHub sponsors. And if you go to the DDEV page on GitHub, github.com, Drud DDEV, which is where the center of things is, you'll see the ability to sponsor there. And we do have sponsorships somewhere in the range of fifteen or $1,600 a month, which is great. It's not enough to pay a developer's salary at current, you know, but it's wonderful and it's covered our infrastructure costs very nicely, and it's growing a, a pot in the bank, which can help 
that can really help. If we get somebody who's willing to spend a month or two months, well, we can do that for sure. So that's good. So it doesn't put up nag notices saying, please contribute, and it doesn't kill off your containers randomly, to, you know, holding them hostage for donations. It doesn't <laughs> do any, anything like that? We don't even have a mention of it in DDEV itself. Yeah, just on the on the GitHub page. So yeah, I'm obviously I'm joking about the <laughs> the, the notices and killing yeah. off containers, but putting a mention of it in DDEV itself might not be a bad idea. I mean, it's something that I honestly didn't know about until you mentioned it. But I would be perfectly willing to contribute. I'm not going to know. I'm not going to do no fifteen hundred. Okay. But I would definitely contribute something if I knew that it was there. You know, that's a good idea. And it, I don't know whether you've seen this before, but there is a DDEV, there's an upgrade available thing. And if you, I mean, it could be done at the same time as that there's an upgraded available thing. Oh, and by the way, you can sponsor DDEV here. And that wouldn't be, that's a good idea. I think the documentation could be a decent place for it too. You know, nothing outrageous, but just a nice little banner, just because of how much people will refer to the documentation. Yeah, and, I'm not sure that's in the documentation. That's a good point. I'm not yeah, sure people, that there's a reference to that. And people doing updates may or may not be the same people that are using it. And just, you know, I, I think documentation might make uh, sense potentially too. That's a good idea. We, we got Ryan in here and his, his blood sugar's a little bit low because he hasn't eaten his daily avocado. But I know that he has done a number of training videos using DDEV. And I just wanted to see what your experience was like doing that because you had to kind of go in there and figure out DDEV as something you hadn't used before and what that experience was like and if you had any questions for Randy. Well, I was just pulling up the docs and it seems like the docs were just redone maybe over yes. the summer. Is that right, Randy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so that's my first thing because I, when I had originally written the, the videos that I did, it was using the old docs. So this is this is amazing. I think, so my biggest takeaway from digging into to DDEV is that it seemed to really prioritize the developer's experience. Like it seemed like that was what it was all set up for is to sort of rise above what everybody is scared of and underneath with Docker and get to the stuff that's easier to use. But one place that, I've, that, I, that I ran into and that I know I've had people email, email me about, and perhaps this is where a lot of your support questions come from, is DDEV on Windows with WSL2. Is that an area that's rough for people or, or is it just maybe me because I don't live in the Windows space day to day? Yeah, so WSL2 is an amazing way to use DDEV and it's an amazing feature of Windows. It's supported by all existing supported versions of Windows, but it's basically being able to run Linux inside Windows. And that lets us run DDEV inside Windows. So it's running DDEV in a far more native world. DDEV comes from Mac or Linux, and in WSL2, it's in Mac or Linux. Um, we've always we've supported Windows, traditional Windows for years, but it's slow, mostly because of the file system. And it's a little awkward, but I have to say a lot of people like it there, but I'm always trying to get them to go to WSL2. So what are the frictions with WSL2? There are probably two or three of them. One is that it's often Windows people coming into a Linux world all of a sudden. And, you know, on Windows, you don't, you're not used to the command line in the first place. And you're certainly not used to all the things that Linux has available to you. And it's just a different world. So that's a bit of friction. A second issue is the networking issue with Windows. They did this amazing thing 
on Windows with WSL2, where all the ports and all the networking are shared and even shared among more than one WSL2 distro. Well, it's a, it's a feat of mastery that they could do that, but it adds complexity. And so people may have trouble with something on the Windows side occupying port 80 or port 44. 443, for example, or they might have it on the WSL2 side. See, on, on a Mac or in Linux, there's only one place where that can go wrong. On WSL2, there's at least two and maybe even more than two ways for it to go wrong. And when you go chasing it, the ways to chase it are different on the Windows side than they are on the WSL2 side. And this is all for people who might not have been comfortable with the command line in the first place and for whom Linux might be new. So those are the things. The other thing is the install has been like 14 steps long for WSL2. It's really, really long. I have a PR that I've been working on this week to make that three steps plus run one PowerShell script. So I think that will help. But it won't solve all the problems. But WSL2 is so worthy, both in terms of performance and native behavior, that it's a great place to go. But I can't, there's some people that like DDEV so much on traditional Windows, I just can't, I can't budge them. Can't budge them at all. Yeah, and, and if I could, I think that the problems that DDEV runs into on WSL2, as you mentioned, they're sort of inherited from Docker and the way that WSL2 interfaces with Windows because I'm someone that I mostly use a pure Docker setup in the local dev stuff that I do. And I've done client work where we've had to get things working on Windows WSL2. And there are a lot of gotchas, like you mentioned, and I don't think they're necessarily inherent to DDEV. They're more inherent to the Docker WSL2 Windows kind of dichotomy that's going on and DDEV just kind of inherits it. For instance, for performance reasons, you really want all of your projects to be inside of WSL2. You don't want the to try and mount them from Windows. Otherwise, you're going to get atrocious performance. And this is stuff that people that are approaching it for the first time who aren't experienced with it, it's a, it's a big gotcha that I see people running into. So there is a, There's another facet of this problem, and that is that people typically want to run their apps like web browsers or PHP Storm on the Windows side. And that means opening the files in WSL2, but still running the running DDEV and everything. And because of the mastery that they did with networking, that all works, but it's another layer of complexity. And it's another layer that people don't understand out of the box. PHP Storm is doing better at it, but it hasn't really arrived. VS Code has done wonderful things with it from the beginning. So VS Code is a great match for WSL2 because you just run code dot in your project on the in WSL2 and it'll it'll use your VS Code GUI, but it's actually running a proxy in WSL2 that does wonderful things. So VS Code has the the win still on that, although PHP Storm keeps trying to catch up, but they haven't caught up yet. They're getting there. I've seen some people that even will run PHP Storm in WSL2 because it That's will run on top of Java. There's no nothing preventing it, and it's going to look and work exactly the same. But I totally get it. That's kind of weird for a lot of people that are used to running their Windows apps. Exactly. Spe speaking of gotchas, uh, I don't. I don't want to brag. I don't want to come across as somebody. Very self-important. Come on, brag. You brag. can give me any you're development already known environment. As a, you're already you known as a bragger. You can give me any development environment. I can find a way to tank it. I can find a way to ruin it. <laughs> I've done it. Um, 
So I, I, you know, I feel like I have pretty good perspective on how to ruin a, your local dev environment. I'm interested in if you were to award one issue from everything that you've seen that somebody's going to use DDEV and they are, you don't know anything about them, their environment, what is the one trophy winning issue that you can predict someone will have that they will run into or the most recurring popular gotcha that you've seen? That is a great question. Over time, when things pop up a lot, we try to fix them. Nobody reads documentation, so you can't fix stuff like that in documentation. But we can make DDEV complain about the mistakes that they might be making. But people do really quite amazing things. But because we're always trying to address the things that they do mostly, there isn't a winner. I'm apologizing. I mean, there's there's stuff that comes up every day, but I don't think we have a winner right now. The other day, there was somebody that didn't understand what a DDEV add-on was, which DDEV has a capability of has a capability of using these additional supported components that you can add with just a DDEV get. You can add on Solar, for example, or you can add on Redis and not have to do that setup for yourself. And somebody went to one of the things like that and they didn't understand that it was an add-on. And they said, could this be turned into an add-on? And the reality is that all of us are always swimming in murky waters. We are always out there learning new things that we didn't really know before. And everybody coming to DDEV is wandering into a world that they didn't know before. You know, almost everybody, they're coming into a world that they didn't know before. And there's a lot of people landing in web development that have never typed LS on a command line. Well, there's a whole bunch of layers when you land from any set of perspectives. And there's so much to learn. And you don't know what to learn. You don't know how to learn it. You don't know how to get those layers added on. It's so crazy impossible to sort that stuff out. Somebody wanted me to add into the docs how you change directories to move into a different directory. Well, <laughs> from their perspective, you know, that tells you something, right? That that resonates with me. I mean, speaking of living in murky waters, I'm like that catfish in the dirty stream that people try to noodle out of the hole, you know? So I totally understand. It's always murky waters. I, I got to say, though, every once in a while, a technical solution comes along to a problem that just feels right. Like, it feels like it's hit the spot, it's checked all the boxes, and somehow I feel that DDEV has gotten us to a place, or we're finally at a place where local development feels like the barrier to entry is low enough that we can do it and we can set up team members with and and we can get on with what we love like local development environments is not something you think about when when you hear the word sexy but <laughs> Randy Fay you've made it dare I say moderately desirable <laughs> so I commend you for that well the best thing sometimes people I'll buy a new computer and They'll ask me, well, how do you like it? And the best compliment that I can give is I don't even think about it. In other words, I have right. no problems right. with it. It gets out of my way. It does its thing. Yeah. That's the way that I think about DDEV as well. Because for local dev environment, you don't want to care, as you're saying, Ben, about the local dev environment. You want to do the work that you need to get done. And the, the best compliment that I can give DDEV is you, I don't even think about it when I use it. But but getting back to Randy's point about the someone asking for a to document the CD command, there still is a, a base threshold that people have to get past in order to use a tool like DDEV. It's not 
even though I consider it extremely easy to use with an, an amazing developer experience. Andrew, you asked when I was creating some material on DDEV, I kept having a smile on my face because like, ah, they thought of that too. <laughs> um, it's just, uh, and just configuring it, it's just all really nice. But getting back to installing it on Windows, I think installing it on Mac OS is pretty straightforward. But still, if you're doing it via brew, you, you still have to know how to get brew running. I mean, there, I People still think don't there's... know that. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't, okay, so on, on Linux, you have to add brew to your path, right? And that's true on WSL2 too. Right. So this might... You asked what the top thing was. The yeah, top no, thing no, probably. No, I know because I wrote the full path to it just so I could get it running. <laughs> yeah, so that that might be the thing that people have asked more than anything else is how come I did the thing and I can't run Brew? Right. Um, now that is almost gone now because our preferred installation technique on Linux and WSL2 is App now. So mm. we have App packages now. Nice. So that will mean that it's always in the path and you don't have the home Linux brew thing anymore. So that is a big win. That's a big win. I hadn't even thought about because that, that would come up every week at least. It's like, I can't run brew. I type brew and nothing happens. And, and they do the same thing. So this just goes back again to how many layers there are for any of us to work in any of these technologies. Is that people will say, well, I installed DDEV, but I get not found when I type it. Well, they don't understand path to begin with, right? Which we all have a lot of things we don't understand. And that seems to those of us who've worked on the command line for decades, that seems kind of silly, but it's just one of those things. With all the web technologies that you guys work on, there are a thousand layers of things you have to know to use those web technologies. And there really aren't any stupid questions. I've heard it, one or two, maybe. <laughs> there, maybe there's one or two, but <laughs> but the reality, the, the problem in the tech world of too many layers to ever understand what layer is what, and then to have the right amount of mastery of the layers that you need to use, it's hard. It's just yeah. hard. My like anything else, you don't know it until you do, right? And it doesn't matter, like you said, how much experience you have, how smart you are, whatever that means. Technology is such that it's always evolving, always changing. There's always something new. There's always something that you don't know. And we are really constructing it like an onion with thousands of layers. And you're working it's, at the very top. It's huge. Well, the, it's one thing that is really important We've always had a goal to have more of a GUI interface or at least a text UI interface that wasn't just plain command line driven, but it never, well, at, at one time we had one, it may still work, but it was unmaintainable, didn't have tests, things like that. And, and I don't see my path. GUIs are huge. Well, you, you all work in web interfaces that are huge. And GUIs are huge. They're huge to maintain. They're huge to test. And I don't ever see them becoming a part of anything that I can handle myself. Although I, we have an open issue and I would love to see that issue succeed. But I have to say that the new PHP, PHP Storm or really JetBrains DDEV integration plugin is awesome for those of you using PHP Storm or any other JetBrains product to work on your PHP stuff. The new plugin allows you to do many DDEV things from within PHP Storm by pushing buttons and that kind of thing. So great kudos to Nico and his crew that made that happen. That was a huge effort. And so that PHP Storm DDEV integration plugin is a great step forward for people who are more likely to be in PHP Storm than they are in the command line. 
I was actually going to ask you about a GUI layer on top of this, because I, I come from a Mac and iOS development background, and I was wondering if it might, I understand that there's, this is yet another layer and it's yet another thing to maintain, but I look at something like Docker Desktop, and it's essentially just a GUI wrapper for Docker. And you, you fire it up and it gives you a little dashboard and it's kind of nice. But if you were able to do something like that, they would also give you the entree into the Mac App Store so that you could just get automatic updates and the installation and the update would be a non-issue. Is that something that is on your radar, open to PRs, you know, that kind of thing? Well, I mean, it's certainly open to somebody wanting to work on it. It would be perfectly, perfectly fine to do a GUI that had a maintenance path and that had tests, had automated tests, right? So, and that was useful to people. Basically, those are the three things. It would have to show value. It would have to have a maintenance path, you know, be sustainable, and it would have to have good automated tests. But yes, I'd love to do that. I just haven't ever figured out how to fit it into my life. I almost signed up for a React class once to do a React wrapper on DDEV. And then I realized that I didn't have any time to begin with. So I wasn't going to be able to do it with less time. Well, the so way I was I thinking of it would be if it was a just a GUI wrapper around what's already there. You know, essentially it would be a GUI presentation for the CLI. So it, so it would depend on all of the tests and everything that were in the actual thing. You know, it would be... It would be DDEV. It would be the thing. This would just have a little bit of a native layer that would report on the status. And I was really thinking about it. Yes, there would be some use to the GUI dashboard, that type of stuff. But I was really thinking about it as an entree into the Mac App Store to ease the installation and update process more than anything else. So I think we could do that regardless. So for the Mac App Store, I'm pretty sure we could just bundle it up uh, as a, you know, as a binary inside a install package. So I don't think that, I think those are two separate things. And I think that we could, we could make an installer package that could go on the app store. And that actually- I don't actually... know if they, they, Apple has standards for how they evaluate these things and they might or might not accept that. You know more than I do. Yep. It'd be worth so, a I'd shot like to... though. Randy, I'd like to offer you Andrew Andrew Welch. He has uh, <laughs> he so has good. a background in this, and he a lot of strong opinions. Yeah, I can tell by the way he's talking that he's obviously a candidate, uh -huh. and that's a great idea. It's very passionate. Yes, I don't I have like it. I don't have strong opinions. I don't. I just speak loudly. That's all. So the the DDEV UI that did exist and is still out there was a React based uh, wrapper that just wrapped uh, DDEV. And it's the reason that DDEV commands have JSON output. So mm -hmm. every DDEV command, you can add dash J to it and you'll get the output in JSON. And it just didn't ever meet the, it. I, I mean, some people liked it. So it didn't get enough traction to know whether people would find real value in it in the end, but it couldn't meet the other two goals of being sustainable from a development perspective and having automated tests. You'd just work with it for a few minutes and you'd find a hole in it. And you'd work with it another few minutes and you'd find another hole. And all of us are used to holes like that in products we use, but it's not exactly what we want. Again, I, at least to me, the value or the initial value in something like that would be to take care of the installation and update process. You're like, okay, we're in the app store. 
you want to install it, click a button and then you can just turn on automatic updates. It'll automatically update and you just don't have to worry about any of that. I'm like, which, you uh, know, like if you sort that out to uh, just, I mean, we have, you know, we do sign and notarize. That's another maturity thing about DDEV is our binaries are signed and they're notarized both on Mac and Windows. And that is not the norm for lots of things. So we already have everything set up with Apple. We already have all the stuff to notarize it. And if we built a package instead of, if we built this package instead of just the binary, we would be already there to do the rest of the stuff. So that's a good project for you. And I appreciate you taking it on. Yeah. And I think that if you did something like that, you would want to have as part of your automated workflow, when you cut a release, if there was a way to do it, to have it automatically build build the package and submit the update to Apple. You know, you'd want well, we that could, to be a process sure we that could, just... We could already do that. Yeah. Oh, I'm perfect. quite sure we could do that in the release process. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if since you have expertise in that area, if you find that it is legit to wrap a binary in an install package, it has potential. It's, I mean, just... So that's only part of what you were talking about, but that part has some value. And there are actually monetization ideas that could be there too. Somebody might want to pay $5 for it or something like that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I got to admit, I got to confess, I appreciate you nominating me, but I'm, I'm a filthy liar. I've never done any Mac or iOS development before in my life. In fact, I don't even do web development. I just get on here and talk about stuff. So. It's the passion that counts, Andrew. <laughs> there you as, go. As, as we like used it. to say, there as we go. used to say at a place earlier in my career journey, it sounds like you've got an idea there, Andrew. <laughs> I have many ideas. Most of my ideas shouldn't see the light of day, but I have many ideas. <laughs> But I think we might as well end it there where I have been volunteered for servitude. You can't do what I you can't do to me what I do to you, Matt. It's just unfair. All right, this is an addendum that we're recording after the podcast. We thought it was important to add this in. So after we talked about and lamented that there was no craft project type built into DDEV, I kind of let out a big sigh. And on a Saturday, I started a pull request and we did it. We did it. We built a craft CMS project type for DDEV so that you can use the craft command and it has uh, official support in it and all that kind of good stuff. And it's really funny. I sent the PR link to Ben Croker and the first message that he sent me was, sigh, I had a feeling this might happen, followed by a series of pull requests that he did on his own to help out with the documentation and the testing and some other aspects of it. Right, Ben? Yeah. And that was true. I kind of had a feeling if, if you start this, then I'm just going to get roped into it. I can't let you do this alone. Uh, so, <laughs> so what started out as a weekend project uh, turned into a bit bigger than I think what we expected, uh, partly because uh, neither of us were particularly familiar with the, with the DDEV code base, uh, but also partially because uh, and maybe significantly more work went into making all of the tests and the, the, the whole testing framework that DDEV has built in, making all of those test, tests pass with this new with this new project type that we'd added for Craft CMS. Yeah, it's funny, writing the actual Go code to get it working wasn't too bad because we had examples to go on and some experience in Go and I have some experience in C. And so that, that part wasn't too bad. And you did yeoman's work by getting the documentation in there. But yeah, it was a little bit of work trying to figure out exactly what was going on with the testing framework. And it's actually funny because Randy Faye <laughs> sent me a message after we had, you know, been 
trudging down this uh, Oregon trail for a long time. And he said, ah, you guys have pioneers. I don't think anyone has added a new project type since the original Magento. And I'm like, oh, well, all right. That explains it. That's good. But, you know, it started off swimmingly. Right. It started off like you were in the code, uh, adding the implementation. I documented how to use it and things were going smoothly on Sunday, at least. And then uh, I didn't realize that by Monday I would be installing Go locally on my computer (laughs) and that I would be installing Goland, which is the JetBrains IDE and step debugging through the testing framework. But uh, that's part of it, right? That's part of PRing, and that's part of contributing to open source projects that have testing frameworks in place. And it's a good thing that they do. This isn't a criticism. It's yes. just uh, that we had a lot of self-learning to do on this uh, on this PR. We went on a journey. We have some amazing stories to tell, but man, were we tired when we got to the end, right? Well, have we reached <laughs> the end of the tunnel? I think we have. Yes, the, the end has been reached. And that, that's the great thing is that we now have this uh, official support for Craft CMS as a project type inside of DDEV. It's in the quick start documentation. So people that are using it for other CMSs will see that and maybe they'll be like, hey, I wonder what this craft thing is. And they can spin it up and try it out super easy. And there are some very quick instructions for getting it up and running. It takes care of rewriting your .env file for you. So it will automatically be set, whether it's a new project or an existing project, it will automatically be set to have the right environment variables to work in DDEV. So it's pretty transparent. And it's it's nice. And I, I do think that even though it was a little bit of work getting it going, I think it was good for the DDEV project too, because Randy was able to see some of the rough edges in adding a new project type. Not not that it's going to happen that often, but hopefully we can make some improvements there as well. And I'm just, I'm happy. I, I sat in on, they have a DDEV executive board meeting and I, I sat in on that and Matt Stein sat in on that as well. He has committed to doing some work to help improve the DDEV documentation, which I think is really cool. I'm glad he's doing that too. So uh, the long and the short of it is that as a result of this podcast, I got the crazy idea in my head to do it and you were by necessity dragged into it. And now we've got (laughs) Matt dragged into it too. So this is how a good community open source project works, right? We got a bunch of people pitching in to help out. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and the the end result for users of Craft CMS who want to also use DDEV for their local development environment is that it's quicker quicker and easier to get started with DDEV and, you know, start building your craft projects. Uh, So less friction to get started. And I think that's that's great for everyone. That about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. To have every episode sent to you, subscribe to our RSS feed or via iTunes or Google Play. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Ben Croker from Put Your Lights On. I'm Ryan Iron. And I'm Matt Stein. And thank you so much, Randy Fay, for coming on. I appreciate it. It was a delight. It was way fun meeting you guys. actually double lied i actually do i i used to do mac and ios development but i'll tell you what it's been a while since i've done it and i've got my son who wanted to do something with it he's like yeah i'm trying to do this thing in xcode and i'm like all right i'll try to help you out and then i'm sitting there working with it i'm like oh my god i don't like everything is totally different than the way it was before like i don't know how anything works it took us like an hour 
to solve something super simple. So <laughs> yeah. the, the capability is there. You sound like maybe. you're just the right person for the job. Well, yeah. we'll see. I just want to, I know it's probably confusing with the video, but um, I, it, I'm not actually Andrew's child, so he's not legally allowed to give me away. <laughs> you're my second. I'm allowed to volunteer you. And, you know, you need to do something other than planting avocados. All right, I'm going to stop Ryan the backup. <laughs> I need stop to eat. off stopping the backup recording. Stopping the actual recording.